Hey everybody, Matt Bagley back with you for another week. I got Justin Hopkins waiting in the wings and we're going to talk about all those things you'd expect we'd talk about. It's Wednesday and it's noon when we're taping this. Uh, we're going to have Adrian Clem at some point this hour, Ducks offensive line coach. Until then, let's talk about what's coming up this weekend. Spring game, baby. We got the duck spring game on Saturday up at Otson. Are you going to that, my friend? Well, um, uh, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I actually wa- I thought I was and, and had myself all booked up and, and was expecting to go. And then on uh, Monday, Monday night, we found out that my son, Tucker, who's uh, 14, uh, his team's in the State Cup currently for soccer. Uh, which is like a weekend by weekend tournament. It's not just one weekend. So, right. uh, anyways, they won and advanced, and that means that they play two o'clock on Saturday in McMinnville. So that's where I'll be. How, however, the game's at one, and I'll probably be done by like two thirty ish. So you know, I'll be able to watch all of it, and and, and I will be paying attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pac-12 Network. So you got that going for you. And then even if you didn't have Pac-12 Network. Um, yeah, I, I, I know there's a McMinnville affiliate for Oregon Radio. All the radio stations carry the spring game, so uh, we got you covered there too. And uh, I, I actually kind of like that. Like, to me, we'll, we'll, we'll take this personal for a minute. It's not duck-related at all. Fatherhood is winning out. I like that. Oh, yeah. The, you know, spring's such a tough time for me because they do, uh, you know, they'll they'll have like this state. They've had both boys, uh, Cooper's team, my older um, actually his team might end up playing on Sunday. We won't know till Saturday night. Uh, and it'll likely be in Portland. So that's how my weekends to have, have gone for about the last two months. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they'll roll right into, uh, into the, uh, I know, you know, about the rope Memorial cup down here, but it's a huge soccer tournament every year, Memorial day weekend. Um, you know, they, two years ago when COVID first, you know, broke out, uh, that was the first, they, they canceled that tournament. And I'm pretty sure that's the first Memorial Day weekend that I've had available as a non-soccer weekend in about 15 years. Wow. So it was kind of, it was it was it was kind of like uh, so what do I do here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's that's Jay Hop's fatherhood. Uh, but the good news is. Um, the good news is I will miss the spring game, but it looks like I'll be able to take in a Timbers match Saturday night in Portland, and I'm freaking stoked about that. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Watch some high-quality soccer. Uh, of course, you know, if you're in McMinnville for the day, get some good food. I love the breweries down there, too. Um, duck spring game. I, I, I feel like it's, it's the lowest-hanging fruit. It's the easiest thing for me having my radio show all week. I get to talk about that quarterback depth chart. Um, I said yesterday on my show, I want to see clarity there. I want to see somebody win that job on Saturday. D- do you have the same sense of urgency there? Do you need somebody to s- stand out and win this quarterback job? No, no, I, I don't. Um, you know what I would, re- I would much rather see? Um, honestly, is I'd, I'd in a perfect world, I'd love to see three quarterbacks that play at a better than average level. Doesn't have to be a supreme level, but that you know, making passes, running the offense, look look poised, maybe make a play or two. I'd love to see you know Bo Nix do that, Ty Thompson, uh, and Jay Butterfield do that. I, I, I'm positive that this staff has absolutely no intention of of declaring. Uh, you know, a, a quarterback that comes out of this as the guy. I think that will continue into the early fall uh, practices. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I would love to see one of the quarterbacks come out and just like, holy cow, that guy looks like the guy. He's great. But ultimately, I think if you're a Duck fan, if you're Kenny Dillingham, if you're Dan Lanning, you'd love to see all three quarterbacks play at a level that you look at each other and say, hey, look, anything happens, we can win with any of these three guys. Um, I think that would be a great great scenario for Oregon right now is there a leader in the clubhouse for those one of those three guys uh, unofficially I, I you know I would like to, I would think that with his experience and the fact that he played in the SEC um, I, I think that Bo Nix is the guy I think that's why you bring him in you don't bring him in to be a backup although you make it perfectly clear there there is an open quarterback battle because you don't want to lose Ty Thompson in the process 
Uh, but I, I, I think that's a natural fit. Um, and I think really ultimately with where Oregon was at, um, you know, from a recruiting standpoint at the position with Ty Thompson being a little younger, um, you know, it's a really nice bridge into the gap, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's Bo Nix, but of course, obviously we're not going to hear the, the coaching staff say anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I was talking about this on my show, the idea that when I, when I cover Oregon state, it's just assumed you have to give Jonathan Smith a really long leash with the quarterback battle because every year, even if you watch their spring game or, or you, you talk to a beat reporter and they tell you that so-and-so is going to win that job, Jonathan Smith won't announce the starter until the last week before the regular season starts every year. It's like a tradition there in Corvallis. And, and I know Mario Cristobal didn't have that same approach, but maybe Dan Lanning does. Maybe they're going to drag this out. Maybe that's just what he wants. And I think we all just have to, you know, buck, uh, brace ourselves for that. Well, it's, you know, I, I, I think more and more you're going to hear that not just in Oregon, but everywhere. And that's really because of the transfer portal. You know, if if these guys are unhappy or if they feel like, hey, I'm, I'm the backup here, but, you know, I could play over here at this school or this school. Um, you know, I think if you're Oregon if you can get into the fall uh, at least a week or so, um, you know, and, and you make these guys feel like there is a legitimate battle and you're, they're both getting reps with the ones or all three or whatever the case might be, you know, for if you're Oregon, if you can hold on to them, you know, until some point in fall camp, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to leave the third week of fall camp and go play somewhere else. That's not going to help them. So, you know, springtime the, is, the, is now the time where you really have to kind of manage that and you know get out the kid gloves and treat it with care and i i think that's what oregon oregon is doing here and it's 100 percent what you have to do in this day and age of the transfer portal yeah yeah i'm I'm in agreement with you there um so oregon spring game saturday obviously the quarterbacks are going to take headlines but but what other position groups do you really want to see on saturday well, I'm not even I'm not even sure per se. So it, that's a good question. I think you know I want to look at the offensive line group, and you know I know we're going to have Adrian Claymont to talk about that, but we'll we'll look at that group a little bit and see how they've progressed. Or you know it sounds like they're really banged up. Who's healthy? So probably not too much to take away from that group. Um, I really like to see how Chase Cota kind of fits in coming in with the transfer. Um, you know, heard he's had some really good weeks uh, of spring football. Obviously, looking at the cornerback position, you know, Christian Gonzalez, again, another transfer. You know, it, it sounds like he's the, you know, cornerback one, but who's going to be cornerback two playing opposite him? You know, I think that's another big question mark. Um, you know, again, I, I think for me more than uh, maybe I think quarterback is obviously going to be the hottest topic, but I think second to that will be the offense in general. What does it look like? And, of course, we're going to see a pretty vanilla offense. We're going to see, you know, Kenny Dillingham not doing a lot. But, you know, does it look like there's chance for, you know, big plays and explosive plays? Does it look like they're progressing? Does it look like it will be different than just running it on three downs and, you know, an occasional throw here and there? Um, you know, I, I think I'll be the first. To, I won't be the first. I will agree and openly say that, yes, you know, under Mario Cristobal the last couple of years, the offense was rather boring. And I understand that. It doesn't mean it wasn't effective, um, you know, because it was. But by an Oregon standard, it was boring. So, you know, you're going to be looking to see if there's potential, um, you know, for a little bit more of an exciting offense there under Kenny Dillingham. So uh, I guess those are a few of the things for me. But again, I hate to see people get too knee-jerk with some of the reactions on this stuff because, again, it's spring ball. You just want to get, you know, you want to get some of your offense and your defense uh, installed. You want to get these guys comfortable with what they're doing. You want to check what your guys' health overall, see where they're at. If they're dinged up, whatever, just let them sit. Let them take it easy. you got a long ways to go before you play in September. So, um, you know, again, I, I hate to see people get too knee-jerk because – Maybe Bo Nix goes out there and completes three more passes than Ty Thompson. You know, hey, right. just 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 settle down, guys. There's a long ways to go here. Yeah, yeah. I love that you took that angle of of you know don't go crazy in the weeds on the play calling. You know, don't read too much into what Kenny Dillingham does. I think it makes sense for two reasons. Not just because of of the spring game that you mentioned, 
right? It's it's basically a preseason game. <laughs> it's a, it's a glorified scrimmage game, um, and it's so early in the year. But also, I I think I I would love to see like what's the pace of Kenny Dillingham's offense this spring versus the pace it might have next spring or the spring after that, assuming he's at Oregon for for more than a season. I, I think there's a pretty solid argument to be made that the transition from Mario's very ground and pound, old school, slow, but physical offense um, to what I've heard and what I've read Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning want to run in Oregon, I think that's going to be a difficult transition. I I don't think it's going to be a flawless transition year one. So I I wouldn't judge it too harshly. This might be a a project that is a few years in the making, you know? Yeah. And on top of that, I like your train of thought there. I mean, there's, there is every bit as much value for these guys. And I mean, the offensive players going out on Saturday and making a bunch of mistakes and basically the the staff being able to record those and figure out how to correct those in the coming months. So, you know, if you go out there and, oh, it looks sloppy, it looks, it's probably going to look a little sloppy. They're going to make mistakes. That's just what's going to happen. It's a new offense, new offensive coordinator, new head coach. Every position coach is new. That's just what's going to happen a little bit. But those mistakes that we'll see that, that, that we'll note, it will be nice, like you said, uh, not only next spring, but in the fall to say, oh, look, hey, they're not making that same mistake or they've, you know, they fixed that. They've only made it once instead of four times or, hey, look, the offensive line's holding less or, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, there's a ton of value for them making a lot of mistakes on Saturday and the staff being able to work on those in the coming months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what, my... <laughs> I had a question for you, and then I just blanked it out of my mind because I thought, well, it's 12.15, and <laughs> Coach Clem's going to jump on any minute. Uh, let me toss you a lazy one here. Um, is, is there anything else you think fans should be prepared for heading into the spring game? Uh, no, no, I think what I just said was probably the most important element. Don't get knee-jerked because these guys make mistakes or they're in wrong positions or the defense gives up a big play or the offense gets called for holding five times. Again, you'll probably see a number of players that will normally play not in action. And uh, don't go knee-jerk on that. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, Noah Sewell wasn't out there on Saturday. Right. Noah Sewell's right. going to be fine. He, he doesn't need to go out there. You know, and that, and that was the case last year with Kayvon Thibodeau and, and how we talked about Mikkel, right? Some of those guys, hey, look, those guys don't need to play. They're okay. Get them out there for a couple reps if you want. Otherwise, don't worry about it. So I think that's just it, you know, fans. And I get it. It's a, you know, you get the spring game and then you have, you know, effectively you have three months of, of waiting to hear about the team again. Uh, come August when when they break into fall camp so that can be a long three months just you know kind of temper your expectations a little bit and remember that this is a chance for that staff to really work on some of the younger guys and work on some of the things they've been working on Um, and again if they do make mistakes those mistakes will will be valuable on film for this team and this coaching staff now I know you got some 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 fun people on your site I, I love reading the boards and, and reading that wide array of comments that you'll get. But you don't have people that are freaking out about Noah Sewell, do you? Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I I don't think it was I don't think it was too bad. But yeah, that does happen a little bit. Um, it seems as though people get a little knee jerk on some of that. And uh, you know, yeah, I just usually try and and kind of wrangle them back in a little bit. It's like, hey, just just really spring ball. It's yeah. spring ball. It's not. It's not. It's not Georgia game week. It's not anything like that. Just just uh, just relax. But you know, I get it. They're fans. I mean, the you know the root words fanatical. We've talked about this before, and you know, ultimately because of that is why you know I have a job. Really, you have a job. You know, sport fans being fanatical give right. us uh, you know the ability to do this for a living. So. Um, you take the good with the bad, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't we um, didn't we get Neffy, uh, his his father, on the show once before? Who's uh, uh, Noah Sewell's dad? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, we had Gabe Sewell on, G- Gabe on the Sewell. podcast. Before. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we had Ugh. yeah we had 
we had Gabe on. Um, man, it, it's well, you were back in studio, so it's been a couple years. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe that would be another good one during the off season to bring on. I know folks like listening to the parents and stuff, and they're always great interviews. So um, you know, maybe getting him back on. Chad, Chance Hudson's another good one. Um, you know, he's been a little bit quieter, if you will. I know he was very close with Mario Cristobal, and maybe he's just kind of getting used to the new staff a little bit. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we can talk to some of those guys again. Um, I, I think another fun one would be Verone McKinley, uh, senior, not not junior, but senior. His dad, uh, he's a really fun guy to talk to, and, and a really knowledgeable guy. So yeah, those are a few of the people that we can I can work on getting on and. Um, it, it's hard because it seems like we do, you know, one podcast a week and it kind of has to line, you know, if you find somebody that the schedule kind of lines up for, but you know, if you can only get say four people on, uh, in a month, you know, obviously there's more people I can name than we can actually fit on in a timely right. manner. So, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we're doing, we've been doing pretty good lately. We've had some really good guests and, uh, you know, it's definitely a lot of fun. It lightens up the show for sure. Oh yeah. Hey, so I asked that question, um, First off, I should apologize to the Sewell family because I think over the years I have either mispronounced names or, or clearly misnamed uh, <laughs> all of them more times than I can count. It's nothing personal. I love I love that family. Uh, but uh, I asked the question because I, I, I don't want to speak for them, but I feel pretty confident like of all of the great athletes at Oregon. If I were to rank like those that I am least afraid of transferring out or those I am least afraid of of not transitioning from the Mario Cristobal era into the Dan Lanning era, no souls at the top of the list. You know? Yeah. Like like yeah. if he's injured and he doesn't play in the spring game, so what? You know, like like a hundred other college football teams would gladly say, "Hey, Noah, rest up. Don't play in the spring. You're a five star. You're a freak that could play on either side of the ball. Like, we'll find a home for you." You know, I, I don't I don't think there's a problem there. No, no, won't be any problem with him. Um, you know, I I think you know Oregon will probably see a few transfers after the spring game out, um, and I and I I don't you know, any names or anything like that, but you know, that's going to be some natural attrition. That's just the way college football works these days. And if I had to make a, a pretty educated guess at this point, it doesn't appear like it'll be anybody that's alarming. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, like you said, Noah Sewell's leaving the program or, or Justin Flo or somebody that's a, a household name in, in, you know, among Oregon fans. So, but you know, again, kind of prep yourself for that because that is just kind of the way college football works anymore. They're, transfer portals made it easy for these guys to you know to basically throw their name in and, and find another place that they feel like they might have a better shot at starting or they, or they fit better or it gets them closer to home and uh you know i'm sure that that will be the case for oregon as well now that that deadline for them to be able to play in the fall is may 1st so it's kind of a tight window you know so you might see you know three or four in a week Again, don't panic. That's just that's just where we are with college football. Right, right. Well said. None of those guys are going to be starters. Uh, Adrian Clem wants to join the call, so let's bring him in and, and learn a ton from the new offensive line coach of the Ducks. I love getting to talk to assistant coaches, especially line coaches, because I believe fundamentally that's where the game is played and that's where the game is won. This guy, I think, can speak to that and speak well to it because he's got some rings he can wear on his fingers when he wants to. He's Adrian Clem, Oregon offensive line coach, uh, won a couple Super Bowls with the Patriots. That, that amazes me. Got to play with Tom Brady, the GOAT, and uh, now he gets to coach a generation of GOATs with the Oregon Ducks. Uh, let, let's start here, Coach. I always love asking this question. You you get hired by Dan Lanning. You're going to coach his offensive line, but you worked in the NFL and worked well for a long time. I know you had options other than Oregon. I'd love to know why Oregon. Well, I, I mean, I had a, another year left in Pittsburgh, so it wasn't that easy to just uh, just leave. You know, um, they're in a rebuilding process there, um, but it's a great working environment. My team is really good to my kids, and I. Um, but it just uh, this is a unique opportunity, you know, and at some point I want to make my way back to college football, but it had to be the perfect situation. I'm a West Coast guy, Pac-12 guy. Uh, although I worked uh, at SMU before, UCLA is where I spent the majority of my um, collegiate coaching career. 
Um, and I want to be kind of close to home. So I know the train pretty well, and I just want to put myself in position to have success and to be an asset to whoever I um, decided to work for. Uh, so when Coach Landing called, you know, just looking at all the different, uh, uh, you know, selling points of the university itself, first and foremost, I was already aware of that. And just um, being really the only uh, college day, game day atmosphere in our conference, or maybe even the West Coast, uh, it was a unique opportunity. Uh, but then the more I got to know about Dan and the more people I talked to, it was a no-brainer. And then when he started telling me about some of the people that he has put together in terms of his staff, um, I just felt like it was a great opportunity to have instant success and just uh, people that are like-minded. Um, not that I have, you know, that everything I think is right, but I'm talking about in terms of go-getters and people that, um, you know, are passionate about what they do and have had success in their own right. So uh, it, it was just it was it, it was just a great opportunity, you know. And it just uh, there's only maybe two schools that I'd be interested in coming back for, and this is one of them. And just uh, when it presented itself, I, I had to jump on it, but I just had to wait a little bit of time for to get that approval and, you know, uh, get the okay to come. Uh, Coach, I don't know him personally, but just from what I've seen in interviews, uh, you know, Mike Tallman seems like a pretty cool dude, like just a straight up guy and has your back. I mean, is he is he that kind of guy, you know, privately as well? Yeah, he's a man's man, you know, and, but but he's a, a family man, too. Um, you know, one of the things that was uh, that I valued the most and I appreciate was that uh, uh, he allowed me to be a dad. You know, I raised my boys by myself. Uh, and they're both in high school and they have games. One's on his way to college, the other one plays in high school. And, uh, you know, he just said, hey, as long as you get your work done, you don't, you know, go ahead and take that. And he's like, that comes first. You never get this time back. And he understood it because he just went through it with his kids. Uh, both are in college now, but they were in high school when I first got there. And just uh, he was always very supportive of that. Uh, if it had anything to do with school, there's a couple of times where um, I was aware of some things going on in school, but I didn't think that I, um, you know, could miss a meeting or something like that to be to be at that and he always he'd come and be like hey don't you have a parent teacher this and that or whatever you know and just uh he'd encourage me to go and obviously i'd take uh, i'd take it and at first i thought it was a setup my first year but then i realized that that was genuine and that <laughs> stuff really did matter and just it was um you know not everybody thinks that way yeah and just uh i really appreciate that because it helped me um and and, and and in some ways it, it it's molded me in terms of if i ever got the opportunity uh to be a head coach i like to do things in that same manner uh, because I think that's important. You I, know, and I, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I just cut you off there. No, you're fine. I mean, I, I think that's important. I just, you want to have a working environment where people enjoy being at work. And um, when you don't have to worry about how people are taking things or who's taking care of this and that um, with your family, when you could just, uh, when you could take care of it yourself and then go to work and you don't have those things on your shoulders. I mean, it's just, it's an easy working environment, no matter how much pressure there is. Um, in terms of what we do between the lines and just um, I always appreciated that I enjoyed it I love the working environment and just uh, I learned so many things you know he has he's an interesting mind you know as an offensive guy that became a defensive coordinator and many think of him as a defensive guy because he calls plays and different things of that nature but the reality is he's an offensive guy at heart you know and I think that's why he has a unique perspective on it so just sitting there in meetings I learned so much over the last few years and there's um you know I'm just really excited to see how I can implement those things so you know Hopefully there's some things of value that I could bring to our staff that can, you know, help us get to the point that we want to be. Yeah, I, I can just hear the energy there. And it got me just really jazzed to ask you about this, Coach. Uh, I, I, I think about how Tony Dungy has said that when he was with, uh, with the Colts in the early 2000s, he would tell his coaches, hey, you know, I want you to go home for dinner. Hey, I want you to you know, go watch your, your kids' school recitals. Go, go watch the football games. Go watch uh, you know, the school plays or, or what have you. And I always thought that can't happen. That, that, that's got to be just a one in a million. That can't be something that every coach does. So I love uh, this Mike Tomlin story that, that he kind of has the same approach and, and understands that your family comes first. Matt, I, I've been really blessed. Uh, I've been in football for, you know, whether it's professionally playing or uh, coaching or coaching collegiate ranks, I mean, 22 years. And uh, I've been for, fortunate to make changes when I want to make changes. Uh, so I haven't moved very much. Um, but that's uh, attributed to the type of coaches I've worked for. Yeah. Uh, June Jones is big in the family. Jim Moore had a dad that was a football coach. He understood the pressures as a coach with your children. Uh, and then going to Mike and then coach landing is the same way i mean it's a you know coming in here you know our kids are in the office and, and 
it's just remarkable, man. I've just been really blessed in that way to be around some good people and, and some staffs that I enjoy being on and uh, people that I enjoy being around that could take things from, whether it's football related or just, you know, as being a father or just being a man, you know, it's just uh, iron sharpens iron. And um, I just been in some really unique situations that um, I've been very fortunate, you know, and so I just, uh, I take something away from everything. And most of it's been positive. Sounds like this goes without saying, but but it, it just from the early stages, it seems as though Dan Landing very much in that same kind of mold, just very, you know, demanding, but also aware of, you know, personal time and, and being, you know, uh, sympathetic to guys that, you know, maybe need to get home and get kids somewhere or this or that. Is is that fair to say, coach? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, if I, if my son has a track meet, you know, as long as he knows where I'm at, I can go and come back and just complete my work and, um, you know, I don't have to do that often, but I know that that's there, um, you know, once the season gets rolling and just, uh, I appreciate that. I would never take advantage of it because I'm uh, obviously I'm appreciative of it. Um, but I think he understands that too. And I think he's hired people that he trusts that are going to do their jobs. And, uh, he doesn't need to have his thumb on us all the time because we all want to do a great job because we take pride in what we do, but also we enjoy working for him. So, uh, Coach, we're going we're gonna to take it all the way back. You know, you came up out of the SoCal LA area. You know, obviously you went to go play your college football at Hawaii. When did you kind of know that, that you liked playing football and, and, and how did you end up at Hawaii in the end? You know what? I didn't know uh, that I liked football. My dad made me play football. So <laughs> once basketball season was over, he wanted to make sure that I was busy. And, uh, you know, and, and the best way to do that was to have me involved in the sports. Uh, he was an administrator of my high school and a coach there, uh, but he coached basketball. So it was a way that I was on campus and he knew where I was. And uh, I took a liking to it. I liked the competitive aspect of it, but I wasn't very good at it. You know, I was new to it. I didn't play pop corner and all those things, but I played basketball all the way through. Um, and then at a certain point, my body started changing and he just said, hey, he was like, I don't care, you know, what offers you have in basketball. He's like, you're going to go play football. So in our household, it was never a conversation. It was kind of like, this is what you're doing. Okay, you know, I'm going to do it. So uh, he talked to a friend of his, Angelo Jackson, who had a, uh, a guy that he knew really well, George Lumpkin, that was a DC at the time at Hawaii. And he just told him that he had an athletic kid. And, you know, I had a decent frame at the time, I was 6'2", 235. And um, I went on a visit. That's my only visit. And uh, obviously, I took it because I, you know, and not that I enjoyed it there, but that's my only choice. So um, it, was, it worked out. I wanted to get away from, I grew up in Inglewood. I wanted to get away from home and be on my own. But at the same time, uh, that was the only choice I had. So I made the most of it. And just, uh, it didn't matter what I was playing at the time. I just wanted to be in a competitive environment. I wanted to play, I, you know, and all those different things that kids want to do. Um, but I never imagined or even thought that I'd go to NFL or have some of the success I've had. I just wanted to make my parents proud and I didn't want to embarrass myself. And I just wanted uh, to make a name for myself in some way. You know, whether that was after football, you know, leaving college and having success and, you know, some form of business or something like that, or just, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't know things would turn out the way they did, you know, but once I got an idea and coaches started talking to me about it, I was all in, you know, it just, uh, it wasn't about money. It was just about, let me see how good I could be. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, I think a lot of us, if, if we're told you can spend uh, four years of, of paid college in Hawaii, we think, oh, that, that's, a, that's amazing. That's like a vacation. Um, but I, I, I look at it and I think, wow, it's, it's pretty far from home for, for a kid in Inglewood. Um, mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you? Man, it was hella far. Like I barely came home. So <laughs> <laughs> it was like it is now. I didn't have a cell phone. There were, I don't even think cell phones were invented. I'm, I'm dating myself right now, but you're talking about that. It was 95 through 99. And, uh, you know, it was about calling cards and uh, pay phones and all those things. I didn't get a license until I was going in, getting ready for the draft. Uh, my agent got me a car and he was, and I was like, well, I don't even know how to drive. And he's like, what the hell? You know, he's sending me a train to New Orleans. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't have a driver's license or anything. And, you know, he's just like, well, how do you get to the, and he's just, you know, and it's just like a last second effort to get everything, get me a cell phone and all those different things. But it was just a unique experience. I mean, I rode a moped for four years. You know, Tony Toyota, our D-line coach, we used, to, we used to piggyback on the moped, you know, because one of us would have one at a time. And it's funny, we didn't know any better because that was the only college experience, you know. And then, uh, you know, I'm talking to some of those guys, Corey Simon, Tom Brady, and uh, Lavernus Coles, we all lived together. And John St. Clair, we lived together in uh, Metairie, Louisiana, training with Tom Shaw. And, uh, you know, they were just laughing. They're like, well, how'd you get around to college? They're just blown away. I was like, on a moped. And they're like, what? Where do you even find that? You know, it's just it's such a different experience, you know. 
and I had never really been on any other college campus. So, I mean, uh, to me, it was just the norm. Uh, but the people there were great. Uh, I go back. Um, I used to go back fairly frequently into the COVID, um, you know, pandemic hit. But um, I enjoy it there, especially Kauai. Uh, but the people of Oahu have been great. And they've always, uh, you know, showed me love when I go back. And just uh, it was a unique experience, a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, and just I met a lot of great people. So not trying to be disrespectful, Coach, but but you and Coach Tuyati are not small individuals. So you two on a moped had to be had to be a vision. A vision, I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. We had we had we had a couple of accidents. I have some scars on one. He cracks jokes on. Still have it uh, from when we fell on some gravel. He hopped off, and I kept going and couldn't stop. And next thing I was laying on the ground, you know. But uh, you know, it was just. You know, if we got up to a hill going up to cafeteria, one of us would have to get off while the other one drove up and they walk up and then get back on at the top, you know. But um, I don't know. It was, it was a fun time. So, so, so uh, you were fortunate enough. We're going to we're gonna move ahead a little bit. Otherwise, we're going to have you all day. Uh, no, you know, you were fortunate enough to get drafted by the Patriots, went through three Super Bowls with them. You know, real quick, what, what was that kind of like for you? What I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is that really kind of Tom Brady as you know him as well? Yeah, he's a great guy. People ask me that all the time, you know, like, is he really like that? And he is, you know, um, kind of quirky a little bit, really sharp, reads all the time, a really good guy, um, has a, a very uncommon ability to remember people's names. And uh, I think when you can do that, you can meet somebody once and don't see him again for two years, but you remember their name, there's a connection you make. And I think a lot of guys um, that have played with them uh, enjoy playing for him because he generally makes you feel like he cares. And I think a lot of that is because he does. So, I, I, like I said, I knew him before we got drafted and we came in the same draft. And, I mean, he's the same guy, you know, and, and obviously I was there when he was barely making the team, driving a yellow Jeep, and I was there when he got his contracts and won the Super Bowls and MVPs and all that. And, obviously, his life has changed in some ways, but the person hasn't. And just uh, uh, that speaks volumes about his character. You know, um, uh, it was a unique experience all the way around. There's so many things that I got from it. You know, I, I was able to, I, when I went in there, Drew Bledsoe was a guy, people forget he was a $100 million con- um when the first, if not the first $100 million man in the NFL. And, um, you know, obviously, as soon thereafter traded or cut, I forgot what it was. And then I had the opportunity to play for Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. So it's just, I've been around a lot of those guys, but uh, the one thing that I really take from it is just looking at how uh, uh, New England really uh, um, uh, set that foundation and how they developed that nucleus. Because my first year was Bill's first year. We had to give up their first pick, so I was our first selection. So I was there when everything was happening and when there's a change of the guard and they were going after certain guys and guys like Brable did, did, didn't play a lot in Pittsburgh that some people thought didn't pan out, comes there and all of a sudden he takes off and he has Hall of Fame numbers in the playoffs and, you know, all those different things. And it's about, hey, finding guys with certain intangibles. And when you get a team full of those guys that just relish the moment to just do their job and, uh, could keep the competitive poise in the critical moments of the game when man measures man. That That is so much more critical than just having athletic guys run around the field. You know, because guys are where they're supposed to be, guys who compete, guys who be physical, guys aren't going to be um, either the level of plays not going to diminish depending on the, uh, the elements. It's just uh, so much to it. So just in terms of developing a room, a culture, um, a mentality, um, looking for certain qualities in individuals, like there's so many things I picked up on it and it's growing every single year and I take things away from people that I talk to. But I mean, that really set the foundation for the way I look at things and I visualize I'd want my program to be if I ever had the opportunity to be a head coach one day. You know, you mentioned yeah. the intangibles and the, and the culture building that, that Coach Belichick undertook those early years in New England. I would assume his emphasis on that it probably helps you in the college ranks. There's probably a lot of lessons that you can impart on your players. Oh, no doubt. You know, you're dealing with younger players, um, but you're looking for some things and you're looking for some traits. But all in all, you want kids that love football, that it's important to. But you also want kids that take care of business away from the field. So I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, guys that are good people that take care of their families, that family's important because now their mind's not all over the place. They're not involved in so many things, having things pull them in different directions that they lose focus. You know, it's just there's ways there's ways that it's relatable and it goes hand in hand. Um, but and so many people get caught up in measurables, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, that can attract you initially and, you know, initially put somebody on your map. Um, but I, I feel like when programs or position groups, you know, they start to level off or um, 
you know, people, you know, wonder why they're not as good as they once were. I think sometimes there is that pressure since the advent of all the different recruiting agencies to get all the stars and all that. And sometimes it's not the case. You got to look at the different variables, you know, who are they playing? Um, are they offer chasing? You know, uh, is football important? You know, do they just want to have a bunch of followers and when they get into college, they don't care about it? And, you know, there's so many different elements to it. And that's why I think relationship building is the most important thing. And uh, through my travels and through my time um, in the collegiate ranks, I feel like that's when I've had my best success is when I've established and developed a real relationship with my recruits and their families because you get to know them. And then um, to some degree, if, if you have a good relationship and it is genuine and you like them, by the time they get there, they know that you're invested in it and that you care. And all of a sudden you're working hand to hand because both of you subconsciously care about one another. So you want to give your best. And that's when you don't have to go crazy and chase somebody down. And they become self-starters because they're so eager to please, you know, and just um, that's been my experience. And I, I just, uh, you know, that that is what I focus on is relation, relationship building. And I think when we're in New England, a lot of people didn't understand that aspect of it. You know, they well, how do they have these stars that? You know, it could be bigger if they go someplace else, but they go here and they take less money or they don't want to do commercials and all that. It's like because the environment that they created was such that there are a lot of guys with the like, same um, mentality, um, um, same goals, you know, and uh, cherish playing with one another and knew how special it was. And so my goal in each room that I have is to create the type of environment where guys uh, feel good about playing with one another, like and just uh, they want to do good for one another and then ultimately want to play for me. You know, um, I have a lot to sell here at Oregon. I mean, it's an unbelievable place. Man, I don't even have to sell. Just walk them in the building. I don't have to say anything. Just let them wander around. You know, but the reality is when it comes down to it, we're going to be in the meeting rooms and all that. And when their parents leave them, I'm the one that they have to, you know, um, they're interested their kids with. And if something goes away or, you know, they need to get a hold of them or, or um, you know, anything, whether it's good, bad or whatever, I'm the, you know, point of contact. And. I'm the one they're relying on to get it right or to help mentor them. And I try to take pride in that. And I think because of that, I've been able to have the semblance of success. So that spring springboards perfectly into my next question. And, and that really wasn't by design, but um, you know, Josh Connerly, a big win for Oregon, big win for you, coach Lanning. Uh, he has signed with Oregon, which gives you the ability to talk about him now. Uh, was that a very key part in that recruitment? And second part to that question was that perhaps the most stressful recruitment of your career so far? Uh, you know, it takes a village. I think uh, it, it was a it was a big signing, um, especially because we we're able to keep him home. And just uh, it wasn't so much who we were going against, but it was somebody that we really wanted and that we need going forward and somebody we're all high about. Um, but there's been other people, Bionne Talamadal, who, who was my assistant, uh, Coach Lanning, uh, who was great and generally uh, develop a relationship with them as well. Um, so it wasn't like it was just us. He was involved too. And I think when it came down to it, knew really cared. Now, there may be some other elements that go into it when other people are recruiting them, but the ultimate thing is, you know, where are you going to get the best experience? Who's going to mentor you and help you develop them in the man? And for a lot of these kids, the most important thing to them is going to help you develop as a player. You know, and I think we hit off assets to that. You know, the parents are satisfied with um, the level of care that we had for him um, as a person and how accessible our accessibility um, was pretty unique and uncommon compared to what they're used to dealing with. Um, but I think in regards to Josh, and you understood um, there's a process, you know, he's talented. Wherever he goes, he's going to get the opportunity to play, but who's going to develop you best? And my track record and my history is something that he's impressed with. And I think that they helped us as well. But all in all, I think everybody was, was you know, was always hands on deck, you know, and just I think everybody helped out. Everybody shares and our victory or whatever you want to call it. And just, um, it was a team effort. And it's really good that a lot of guys on our staff, they put their egos aside and um, they're, they're, they welcome help with open arms and, you know, and just, uh, it was great. It was a great team effort. You know, it was, it was really exciting. And in regards to, is this my toughest one? It wasn't tough, it was tough. But I had one where I had six guys and I tried to hold on to them for a year and a half, you know, and they're all big time guys. You know, that, that was a tough year because people always, negative recruiting saying, hey, he's stockpiling talent and all this stuff like that. But um, this wasn't tough because I enjoyed it because I enjoyed getting to know him. It was just unique because I came in so late. I was a year and a half behind a lot of these people. Um, but that connection through V and then the way Dan is, we all were able to make up ground um, because they gave us more time. 
Um, they pushed their their commitment date back. And to their credit, uh, they really handled it in a mature way, you know, and it was, uh, I don't know, I give them credit too, because a lot of people wouldn't have done that. They would have just rushed through it or uh, they would have chased things that in the end probably earned things of substance. And that's not what they're about. Um, they're a really classy family and a, a stand-up outfit. And just, I think on both ends, it just made the recruitment kind of enjoyable. So I have, I have two ways to go here, and it's really hard for me to decide which one because they both play pretty <laughs> pretty well here. But I'll go with this one first. You you know you came into the college ranks of coaching at SMU. Obviously went to UCLA. You know stop at the Steelers now at Oregon. How uh, now that you're kind of back in it? How do you how would you say or what are you, what would you say are the biggest changes to recruiting in that we'll just call it past decade? Uh, you know what are some of the biggest changes for you that that you see right now? Uh, the recruits accessibility to coaches and just how much, I mean, how much more you have to be accessible to them. Um, there's no real days off. Uh, I knew a little bit about it just, uh, you know, as I went around with my son on his recruiting visits, people are like, man, you'd be shocked how much it changed. I bet you never want to come back, but there's something to it, man. It's more fulfilling to develop young kids. You know, it's, it's to some degree, depending on where you are in the NFL, sometimes you're just babysitting, you know, and you're not really having the same impact you're having in college, but uh, I think the NIL kind of skews things sometimes. I think it's good, especially being a former player, that, you know, guys get compensated, um, you know, because some are deserving. Some change the trajectory of the program just by signing their name, you know. And um, maybe they get injured and they're never the same and they can't capitalize off that later on in life. So at least they could get something out of it. But I think sometimes it, it, it's, depending on kids' situation, it's forcing them to make decisions or go places that maybe they wouldn't necessarily go if, their family wasn't in need or um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, there's some things that are positive, some things are negative, but uh, overall, you know, I, I enjoy the college game. It's not better. It's just different, you know, my preference at the time, but it, but it definitely in terms of like, there's no days off. It's really like seven days a week and it's just, you know, it's constant and you better be accessible. You know, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's just different, you know? But, but relationship building has always been vital to it, right? I mean, and that's something yeah. you're really good at. Yeah, that's, and I think that's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that, and that's still very much the same. You think? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know the particular numbers that uh, Josh was getting offered or anything like that, but I'm sure there's people that gave him some enticing numbers, and, and when it came down to it, in the end, that wasn't the deciding factor. You know, it's about the relationship you have with some of us on the staff and. Uh, where he thought we can get him to go, you know, and just uh, I think in some cases that gets lost because people are first to make decisions based off of those other things. But when it all comes down to it, it's about relationship, because when you get to the school, it's about your relationship. You know, like it's about, you know, do you want to play for that coach? And is that coach care about you? And is he going to make sure you get your degree? And is he going to make sure that you are the best person that you could be? You know, and it just um, I think, so, so, you know, I just I don't know. I think relationships when it comes down to it. It could, uh, um, it could, if they're people of substance, it could be more valuable than anything that someone could offer, you know, in terms of something, you know, um, monetary or whatever the case may be. Right. Financial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're going to end with your team in just a moment, but I've got one question more before we get there or your current team, I should say. I know there's a lot of articles out there. People write stuff about you, this or that. Maybe you read them, maybe you don't. I don't really know. But um, I have talked to other coaches besides yourself that get frustrated, you know, with the notion, hey, I'm being, you know, labeled a, a recruiter and not a developer. And I know that there are times that there that, that has been written about you. And whether you read them or not, how do you kind of feel when you hear that? It seems like you've had a really good run of developing guys at SMU and UCLA that are still playing in the league, uh, guys that weren't, you know, five stars like Josh Connerly. Um, and, and it seems as though that recruiter versus developer thing kind of still hangs around you a little bit. How do you, how do you, how would you kind of, I don't know what, I don't want to say attack that, but how do you kind of identify with that? Well, it blows my mind. It's all about perception though. People throw things out there and what the, uh admin the social media people just go on clickbait and they don't take the time to look up things um if you look at it i think on my little rating thing, josh Connolly is the first five-star old lineman i've ever had um you know that i physically recruited you know i made my, my reputation as a recruiter off of uh the running backs and receivers and skill players 
But in terms of linemen, I've always had the same mentality. I want people with certain intangibles and I was willing to develop that and take time. Um, you know, I had two lines at UCLA where 80, 90% of the guys were freshmen, you know, they're playing. And, you know, those guys went on to go in the league. I mean, my highest rated, I mean, my highest drafted kid was, a, I think, 14, 14th pick overall in the first round or something like that. And he was a guy that was a two-star that got elevated to a three-star when he came to UCLA. Um, he had like five offers. The guy that's been playing the longest has been in the league 12 years. He had one offer coming out of um, high school, and that was to me at SMU. And he's been in 12 years starting at tackle. That's how Mike Tomlin found out about him. He's a shorter guy. He's 6'2", 290. He's, he just was always kind of impressed by how he's able to, you know, fight his way through and always be a starter. And isn't his, um, his ability to um, beat people to junction point, all these different things. He said, who taught you that? And he's like, oh, my coach, he taught me uh, coverages and all these different things and how it affects blitzes and pressures. He's like, so I'm able to have greater anticipatory skills. He said, that's the only way I was going to make it. He was impressed with that, and that's how we um, first got in contact. You know, it's just like I look at those things, and I, it blows my mind. There's coaches that go to these other schools, these, um, you know, perceived big time schools that are always in the top three in recruiting, and they get all these five star guys, and their guys go to the league based off name, and they last one year or two years. You don't even get a credit season if you don't play three games into your third season. When you talk about developing, like I'm. I, you go to SMU and UCLA, you're at places where kids have to have the academics as well as athleticism, but you're not going out there and just able to roll out the ball and get whoever you want. You know, you have to develop talent. And that's what I did. I mean, you get to big time school, it's like drafting. You should get a top class every year, you know? And it's just like, um, I have so many thoughts on that. It bothers me a little bit. Um, I'm not gonna lie, because you work really hard to develop your craft and I take a tremendous amount of pride in what I do. And um, whether people are trying to knock it by saying I'm recruited or people try to simplify it, like that's the only way to get guys to leave. It's like, do your homework, look into it. Yeah. And I think yeah. my, my record and my work speaks for itself. And if you ever talk to any of my players, you know, one was in the Super Bowl this year, you know, guys in the program, like, they'll tell you, you know, like a lot of it comes from that and stems from that, you know, per, uh, you know, projecting guys that weren't offensive linemen initially that become that, that, that I tell them, hey, you need to be an offensive lineman or a guy that maybe was a guard then hey you're going to project as a center so I'm going to move you here maybe at the time they didn't um, like it but they did it you know there's a lot of guys that had to play as true freshmen because we didn't have a lot of talent when I came over there and those guys did those things and they were in the fire and that sense of urgency that was created helped them when they got to the league because it was such an easy transition you know the way I coach my guys is the way I would have liked to get coached and the way I teach my guys is the way they're going to learn when they get to the next level you know everything is about them getting their degree and you know, academics come first and all these different things. But I feel just as professors are on a college campus and their job is to help them be as successful as they can and have success after they leave these doors. It's mine too, after they leave the stadium. You know, I wanna make sure they're doing all the right things, but I wanna do my part. And I'd be, I, I, I'd be remiss to just have a guy come through these doors and I don't give them all the tools to have success at their next level. So that's always my thoughts, regardless of somebody's talent level. I just wanna put in a position to have success when they leave here and you know, add something of value to their careers. Uh, Coach, I, I know it sounds like you're maybe heading into another meeting and we've ran way too long, but real quick in just a, a, a few words, you know, talk about your offensive line group right now and, uh, and how is the, what I will, I'm using air quotes here, how is the fight for uh, JPJ going uh, on getting him back on offense for you? Well, it's not much of a fight, whatever Coach Lamb decides is gonna be is what it's gonna be, so. I could, I could say that one of my group, which I do, but I'm accept whatever it is. And just, I have uh, plenty of work with and the guys work hard. And the one thing I can say about those guys that were here before on uh, the previous staff, they did a really good job of uh, recruiting and signing good kids. Um, this is this is one of the best rooms I've ever been around in terms of just uh, really good young men that want to do the right things on and off the field. Uh, they care about one another. They're a really tight knit group. And just, uh, I really enjoy working with them. It's a joy. Like they're, uh, you know, we have work to do and there's some things we need to improve, but in terms of just in the building, in the classroom, doing what's asked of them, you know, even if it's something that doesn't come natural, they work at it. And just, uh, I, I really like it. And I just, uh, and, and it's a great working environment to not just coach learning, but just, uh, you know, this environment and the school as a whole, it's just been a very, uh, pleasant experience so far and hopefully it can continue. Uh, one last question here. One thing we talked about before you came on was, you know, uh, 
the spring game and what you see on Saturday, people getting too knee-jerk reaction about, you know, who played or who didn't or who played well or who didn't play well and all that stuff. You know, for for your group, I don't want to get into anything specific. You got a, a couple guys dinged up and, and, you know, I would assume. Are you super worried about what you see on Saturday from your group or is it something like, hey, fans, don't get too worried about what you see on Saturday. This great group. Uh, we got some dinged up guys and, and we'll be great when the fall rolls around. Yeah, I'm not going to speak for everybody. I just know for me going into it, I just want to see improvement from what um, from the beginning of the spring to now. Um, I just want to see guys give their all and just uh, work. I'd like to see some continuity, uh, which would be challenging because, you know, we're mixing up the teams. But I think, we, you know, coach mixes up the teams to keep it fair. And so it could be more competitive. Um, but yeah, some people are fighting through some things and, um, you know, I, I just want to get out of the game healthy and I just want everybody to have a good time and I want their families, I want everybody, all my guys to play, you know, my group, you know, I try to always make sure I get that done because there's a lot of people's families that come from far and wide and just, um, I think if they're going to take the time to do that, then it's only right that they get to see the boys on the field, you know, and just uh, me coming out, I just want the guys to be healthy. I want them to enjoy themselves, uh, the things that you know, we worked on for the last few months. I'd like him to put it on display and just, uh, you know, you're working next to guys that you don't normally work with. So it's going to be challenging at moments, but I think it's just so hard and just, uh, you know, do your best. Perfect. Perfect. Well, coach, I know you got a lot going on. We kept you about 15 minutes longer than we should have. So we're going to let you go, but we really appreciate the time and, and look forward to having you on again. Hey, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We had him on a little bit longer than we wanted to. I mean, maybe not wanted to, right? We had him on a little bit longer than we should have, but I don't know about you. I I wanted to give him another three hours. I could have listened to just every story that he possibly could give me. Yeah, I mean, obviously we could have dug into the Hawaii stuff a lot more, could have dug into the time with the with the Patriots. I'm sure there's a lot of great stories there. You know, probably even peel back the layers uh, with his time at the Steelers. Uh, a little bit more here the last couple of years and you know I, I wanted to give him a chance to talk I know he's really proud I know he's a, I know he's a very involved dad his boys live with him yeah um, he has a really great relationship with his ex-wife and his his kid's mom but they're but they're not together but they have a really great co-parenting relationship and and I think all those things are factors into kind of what make him up and I, I wanted to give him a chance to talk about his son Jalen who did sign and will go with Kansas State and, and his son Nico who's playing at Sheldon who's a, a class of 2024 I believe uh, it might be 25 uh, defensive back is what it looks like he'll be I, I know he's really proud of them and he likes to talk about them a little bit but as you said <laughs> we just flat out ran out of time and that's because you know as you've said before Matt he's a you know he's a uh, you know he's a dream interview he's yeah. a guy that yeah. get, gets on and it gives you five to ten minutes of a good answer instead of, oh yeah, that was fun. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, now where where do I go with that? But no, it was it's great, and I think that just from that little glimpse of of being able to listen to him, maybe gives fans and stuff a chance to really understand why a Josh Connolly comes to Oregon or why you know this guy was able to you know successfully recruit or why he's been so highly coveted. I mean, he was one of the top paid assistants you know under Jim Mora at UCLA. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Mike Tallman thought a lot of him with the Steelers. Uh, and, of course, Dan Lanning thought a lot of him because he was one of his very first targets to hire at Oregon uh, when he got here. So I just think that, you know, that was a good chance for folks to maybe get a kind of a glimpse of that. And, uh, you know, I think I think Duck fans are, are very fortunate to have Coach Clem, not just because he signed Josh Connerly, just because of, of what he's going to bring to that room and, and how he's going to develop those guys and, and just the type of person he is. Yeah, and I, I loved that question you asked him about development. If we had more time, I would have followed up here, but I'm like 99% sure when he got riled up and he started puffing his chest talking about the kid he developed that became the 14th overall pick in the draft, he's talking about Colton Miller who uh, my Raiders picked about five years ago. Um, a lot of us complained, and I, and I say us, I mean the draft geeks out there, not Raider fans, but people that, that, that watch tape and study draft <laughs> boards and, and treat that opening night of, of the draft like it's Christmas. Uh, we all complained, thinking that was a bad pick. Colton Miller... He was so much better 
developed and prepared in college that I gave him credit for. Um, this guy, he, he, he came into the NFL and, and never missed a beat. And, and he's gotten to the point with the Raiders where I was just reading the other day, um, in, the, in the 10 drafts since Al Davis died, 2011. Uh, so, so 2012 draft is the first one, and then 2022 draft coming up. In the 10 drafts since Al Davis died, only six players that the Raiders have drafted have reached a second contract. Colton Miller is one of those players. That's how good he is. And uh, Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. And, and he's one of, of many that I think Adrian Clem can point to and say, was he raw at times? Sure. Right? Colton Miller, his freshman year. I don't think was NFL ready, um, but after a couple of years working with Coach Clem, guy's a first-round draft pick and has a thriving career in the NFL. Yeah, and and this is in no way is this a knock on you know Mario Cristobal, but one of the accolades for Mario Cristobal you know is development at the offensive line position, and there's no doubt that he has done uh, a good job with that. But he was also at Alabama. And he was bringing in, you know, the the cream of the crop as far as that goes, uh, year in and year out. Those those are guys that were, you know, household names. And so I think for, you know, Adrian Clam and and you like you said, you talked about Colton Miller or or you talk about Alex Redmond and some of these other guys that most people are like, Who? Who are these guys? You know, those are the the three stars or, you know, maybe low four stars that he was able to, you know, bring in and develop and again they didn't just go to the NFL and, and play for a year or two or, or whatever, you know, they're sustaining an NFL career and it's going to be in large part because they were properly developed. So it's not to say that he's perfect or he hits a home run on every one, but it, it certainly seems like his work speaks for itself. And, you know, I do know from, from talking to the family a little bit, I did like with Josh Connerly, for example, that played a big part because, you know, they were able to kind of present that, or, you know, Clem was able to kind of present that in a way that suggested, hey, look, I'm pretty good at developing guys. Here's, you know, here's how, here's how. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he I think he really dislikes that recruiter label. And I'll be honest, you know, people might say, well, you know, that's that's because he is. Well, I'll be honest, most guys that that do get that label, uh, Dante Williams is another one. Most of those guys hate that label. Um, they, they really don't like it because they take pride in their work and they don't want to just be known as you know recruiters they want to be known for the, the time they're putting in uh you know at practices and 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 off the field and stuff like that so um you know i, I think keith hayward's another one that come to mind that that you know from what i gather wasn't you know didn't really like being labeled a, a recruiter um so anyways yeah i mean the list goes on like you said colton miller was the you know 30 31st ranked offensive tackle uh in his recruiting class so that made him uh, like a higher three-star you know i mean so he was able to take him and squat scott quesenberry and some of these other guys that you know again are all three stars and make them into uh returning nfl you know starters or contributors so um anyways yeah enough on that what a great interview though and and uh you know like i said i, I think it was important that we asked him about the spring game and and just kind of what we'll see from his group and, and kind of the expectations there because you know, again, I think you're looking at coaches that are just wanting to see how their guys are coming together. You know, any guys that have been injured, how they're feeling, um, just kind of what their room looks like overall. And uh, I, I think he kind of solidified, you know, what I'd said originally, like, hey, just let these guys make mistakes and, you know, throw it up on the tape and figure out how to fix them. All right. Yeah. Well, now we're in. Adrian Clem gave us a ton to talk about. I, I think we need to give Adrian Clem his own podcast. You know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's. I could certainly he certainly. <laughs> he, well, I mean, we said this about Vron McKinley after the last one, but he's oh, certainly yeah. a guy that you could see in the booth on Sundays. You know, calling an NFL game. Maybe not quite Tony Romo's level because I, I actually think Tony Romo's really good at what he does. But um, you know, somebody that could really give you some of the technical parts of you know, of the game and, and probably be really good in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Uh, anything else you want to say before we hang it up and, uh, and, uh, send people off for the spring game Saturday? No, you know, big pod next week. We'll, you know, we'll get, we'll get Jared and, and, uh, you know, get him on. He'll be at the spring game as will Charlie, uh, you know, covering it for scoop duck. So 
we'll get those guys on, go over the spring game, offer some takeaways. But uh, hopefully this uh, hopefully this podcast entertains at least one or two people until that time. I'd hope so, man. I mean, offensive line coach for the Ducks, and he's got a ton to say. Yeah, I, I think people are going to like this. I really enjoyed that interview with Adrian Clem. Uh, thanks, Justin, for setting that up. Thanks, Coach Clem, for giving us a lot of his time this afternoon. And thank you for listening. As always, uh, my name is Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. And uh, be on the lookout for us next week when we put another one of these podcasts out into the world. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks.